Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. Four minutes after two o'clock. Thank you so much for staying with us. So it wasn't uh, so long ago. In fact, it was last week when we heard the pleas coming through from a very well-known South African, Patrick Shai, who was saying he is absolutely shocked about what he has experienced himself. This was not obviously the only case uh, that we've been dealing with recently. You've seen uh, cases of um, immigrants who were moved from uh, outside uh, pavements and so on. And then um, really the, the the thread there was what people were calling police brutality. So what I want to do this afternoon is to interrogate this police brutality. Are we not seeing the decline of police brutality? Of course, there was the big story that we all know of Marigana, where everybody was shocked about how uh, the incident panned itself out. And I thought everybody was more sensitized. But we are seeing some signs coming through of, once again, police brutality. And we saw it with Fismas 4, where young people were complaining about how the police we're managing the solution, the, the situation. So I've got two guests with me this afternoon. Andrew Fall, uh, Dr. Andrew Fall is from the Institute of Security Studies. He joins me from our Cape Town studios. I'm also got Andy Mashaile, who we spoke to not so long ago, Global Ambassador of Interpol. And uh, we are discussing police brutality. If you want to take part in this conversation, I'd love to hear from you on 0891 Gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to the show. It is good afternoon. It is a pleasure to be back with you on this heavyweight champion show in the afternoon. Life happens, really. Don't listen to him, Andrew. Don't listen to anything he's had to say. Competitions aren't. Absolutely. Andrew, it's, it's, it's worrying um, because in as much as it's not to the scale where there is alarm, you know, where people are saying, well, this is a big crisis. I'm getting the sense that in its small forms, it still remains a crisis. Do you think we've got a crisis? Um, crisis isn't a word I would uh, throw around um, casually, but mm. I do think that police brutality, um, police abuse of force, um, and general levels of integrity within the South African Police Service and some of the Metro Police Departments um, are matters that we should remain concerned about and work to address. You know, um, one of the things which I found interesting, um, when I was watching, for instance, uh, the eviction of uh, illegal uh, immigrants at the the different, in one in Pretoria and in Cape Town as well, from where I was sitting, depending on which angle you, you get to see the, the event. So the cameras that were coming through, for instance, television cameras, much of it was not quite, you know, it didn't seem too violent, maybe. And then there would be moments that I captured by social media, which were shocking. And, and, and that's exactly what I want to ask you, that one policeman that does something absolutely wrong affects all of our perceptions about how police treat us. So it could be just one individual. But it's, it's important for us to identify that and talk about that, because what's about the culture that makes it okay for one individual to do something and not for the others to react to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a number of things. I um, so the the activity that took place in the CBD in Cape Town was right outside my office. Oh. I actually wasn't there that day, but my colleagues were there and um, shared some of their videos with me. Um, but they also shared their impressions. Mm. So I saw the media and their impressions, mm. and and I think there were some very shocking images in the media, but. In general, um, at least my colleague's perception was that the police were very professional and they did their best to handle a difficult situation. Mm. Um, we need to remember that police um, are often faced with very unique challenges um, and they have unique powers in dem democracies. They're the only people allowed to use force and to to withhold citizens' rights in order to enforce rules. And in that, in that instance, police were having to do that. They were having to detain people. Um, forcefully carry people into vans um, and that isn't nice for anybody to see or experience um, that said uh, and I must say I haven't heard of any major abuses of course there are shocking images of, of police apparently pulling children away from parents and the like 
um, but it's it's difficult to interpret that. Um, that said, I, I did see um, footage of a police official kicking somebody on the ground, another being punched in the face, um, and, and I didn't hear of anything happening as a result, and none of the other officers present seemed to notice or care about their colleague doing that. So I'm going, I'm going to bring you, Andy, in, because to your point, Andrew, my perception actually was that in fact, the police were very restrained. It seemed to me like they were really doing the best they could in the, in the circumstances. The problem here is that to the lady that was punched in the face, that's a completely different um, PR exercise, right? So how she's going to relate the story to others changes our perception of how we relate to police. Andrew, Andy? Pimel, let's start off by denouncing um, excessive force where it is not warranted. Um, let's go on to say Section 49 of the Criminal Procedure Act um, gives the police a certain leeway to apply minimum force or to apply deadly force. When we flip that coin, um, we want to move to a community-centered policing that says in the event where there is a serious challenge like the challenges that we have seen down in Cape Town and in Pretoria. What would be the best way to handle that kind of a situation? If you have the CBD um, scenario where police were pelted with stones and some of them got injured, you then begin to say what kind of force would be necessary to contain that situation um, to such an extent that it does not lead to the burning of uh, Johannesburg as a whole. We, 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 we operate, I operate as an ordinary member of the, uh, of the community and of the public. I move from a premise that says, must force be used? If yes, what should be that kind of force? Um, how would it be uh, proportional to the um, the actions taken by members of the community and ourselves in the event of Brapet Chai, what um, what would be the facts? What are the merits and the demerits of the situation? Why was the gentleman in between? What is it that stopped the police from engaging with the leadership of those people who um, were protesting, were throwing stones and, and used that individual brapet in this particular instance? What led to the shooting of um, brapet Shai and the protesters? These are some of the dynamics when you do your root cause analysis, which is where we are starting on. Andrew, you hear a lot of ministers, leadership talks a lot when they come on the radio and so on about, listen, you know, it's, it's all of our problems. You know, there's, a, there's always a plea about if you are in your community and you know a criminal, you need to report the criminal. This we can't do alone. We need all of the stakeholders. We hear that a lot. However... How are people going to go to the police that they don't trust? In other words, if by virtue of the police's actions, there is lack of trust. We've just spoken now of Patrick Shai as an example of such, where, where even when the public comes to the fore, the reception is not one of, of let's work together by the police. How are you going to get that right, Andrew? Um. Good question. Um, firstly, we, we should remember that the SAPS is a gigantic organization and we do also have Metro Police and Traffic Officers in South Africa. Um, and so there will be huge va variability within the organizations, within the stations, within the units. Um, but as you say, um, the public doesn't view law enforcement officers in that way. So we see one man or woman in uniform abusing their authority mm -hmm. and we often instinctively generalize to all law enforcement officials. Um, and it's natural for that to erode our trust. Um, I think the, the latest trust data shows that uh, approximately 48% of South Africans don't trust police at all or trust them only a little. And um, that 66% of South Africans believe all or most police are corrupt. So when you've got those kind of perceptions, um, you, you're going to have a, a problem forging a healthy relationship with communities. Um, so th there's no easy solution. Um, we need to professionalize the organization. The organization has to hold its officials accountable. Um, and it needs to it needs to be the better the better one in the party. Um, of course, the public could be better, 
but it is the state that needs to lead by example and come back and try to mend those relationships. Um, you mentioned earlier rotten apples, mm. and in the police integrity literature, and from what we know from studies of police organizations around the world, it isn't ever, it's almost never a rotten apple. Um, it's, it's the police organizational culture that mm. allows for officials to develop the attitudes and perceptions and actions that surface in the odd scandal that comes to public attention. But that is only possible because there are abuses um, happening behind the scenes that nobody is reporting or acting on. And I think that's definitely true in the South African context where, how, where force is often tolerated. How do we get South Africans to buy into the idea that government is serious about um, corruption, you know, specifically in the police force, and that their issues and concerns are taken seriously? And I'll tell you why. We've just spoken now about perception. But Perception is one thing. When the stats are glaring you in the face, when you look at, for instance, I'll, I'll pick one place, Hamanskral, where over 500 murders were committed between, I think, 2017, 2018, the years 2017, 2018, and not one conviction, not one conviction. Surely that community, it doesn't matter what you say, will have no faith in the state, number one, and secondly, the police. You, you are quite correct, Pimelo. Um, we need to move from a premise that says the investigations in this particular example that you are bringing to the fore were investigations properly done. What is the court of law saying in terms of accepting that evidence for a conviction and incarceration um, 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 element or outcomes? The, we, we must remember that, that the police in this instance, they would arrest um, the party uh, to the decision that gets people incarcerated would be your 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 courts. It it then becomes what you uh, rightly pointing out perception management. How do we deal with that? Which is your question? We have experience uh, experiences that we want to share with the listeners and yourself. Mm. When there were murders out in Melistreff six, seven, eight, nine years ago, um, when there were people who were um, killing. Uh, farmers in that particular area. I spent myself, I spent six months every night going to those areas, engaging, going there with the police, the, the deputy provincial commissioner responsible for visible policing and uh, operational services, Major General Gela by then. We would go there into those communities every night. I would say to the general, um, it is important that we must go and visit those families, go and talk, go and find out those who are victims and, and communities in general. On Sunday, wear your uniform, uh, your branch commander, let's go to the church. I want people who, from my communities that I'm leading, who have cases that are cold, to come to the fore after the church to engage with the police. And if you look at those years, 2010 to 2013, when we had uh, General Petros and the management team, we were able to build better relations. We're able to have zero cash in transit heist. We're able to have zero ATM bombing. So for us to be able to deal with this perception, Arena chance. We must go to the people. We must talk to uh, um, to our communities. Whether there is a strike or a service delivery protest, that does not matter. What matters is, even if there is none of those, we must engage our communities. Andrew, Often you would find that the, pol the particular police commander or the area knows exactly what's going on. In other words, they have the data, they know who the criminals are, they know where things are happening, but targets move quickly. Is the system geared for flexibility enough? In other words, state systems where, for instance, if I want to move my resources quickly and I want to act quickly to shift where the crime needs me to shift, do we have that kind of flexibility in the system to allow us to do that? Um, well, <laughs> this is a bit of a different topic, but I, I think that um, my understanding would be that in theory, the SAPS has the ability to shift resources fairly easily. Um, there has to be a minimum uh, number of vans and police officials on duty at any time at each station, in theory. Um, and so those members can't be shifted. But many stations do have um, crime prevention units that are more flexible. The, there's the tactical response team. There are task teams. Um, so there are ways and means uh, with which the SAPS can shift its resources. But it's it's not that simple. Um, for instance, we know that 60 to 80 percent of murders occur over weekends, mm. um, meaning one can make a very rational argument for us to surge policing um, 
police time over weekends and to reduce it during the week. And yet, in order to do that, you need to negotiate with the unions because, of course, nobody wants to work every weekend and only um, have down days during the week um, and things like that. So it's, there is a clear logic. We could do much better by following the data, following the evidence about what works and what doesn't work, and uh, using that to deploy um, members and hold them accountable to those deployments. Um, and I think in some places, the SAPs and other police organizations are pursuing that. Um, but it isn't it isn't as simple as knowing the the logic and therefore applying it. If we go with the theory that force begets force, and and we've heard many people say, well, this is not quite the strategy that's going to work for South Africa to reduce the kind of of brutality that is faced between criminals and 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 the police and so on. There needs to be a downscaling of force. If we buy into that, first of all, let me ask you, Andrew, do you buy that? Um, you mean downscaling the, the police use of force? Force, yeah. The, the South African police service? Yes, because I, I, be, I believe it's a chicken and egg thing. The more forceful the police are, the more forceful the criminals are. Yes, absolutely. So if, if, if uh, would-be offenders are planning a cash and transit heist or a robbery, they will arm and equip and plan based on the level of force that they expect to um, encounter. Um, Does that we, follow, for instance, with protesters who know that the police who are coming are going to be brutal? Um, I don't think protesters plan and strategize in the same way in that they don't prepare for lethal violence. Um, but where we could draw a link, perhaps, is that uh, both police officials' use of force and protesters' ideas about force um, really perpetrate our entire society. So they begin in homes where we have very high levels of domestic violence mm -hmm. and um, violence against children. Um, and where children are basically taught that violence is a legitimate way to solve problems mm. um, and express authority. And so if you are somebody protesting and you want to solve a problem, you might use that logic to use force. And mm. if you're a police official, you might use that logic to um, support, to defend the law. Mm. Okay, let's take those calls. 0891-104-207. We are discussing police brutality. I mean, this conversation has taken many turns because you need to kind of see how the parts fit into where we're going with this conversation. But I will take your calls on 0891-104-207. And both my guests will be, I hope, be able to respond to those uh, or at least further debate. Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. We're discussing police brutality. And uh, as I said, with this conversation has taken many turns. And I think it's important for us to allow it to happen because some of these parts make for better understanding as to why is it that we have what we have. I'll open those lines, 0891-104-207. Let me go to Lucky in Johannesburg. Good afternoon, Lucky. Welcome to the show. What happens normally when we hear the most coming from the society about police brutality is when oftentimes you're talking about flags or people protesting. That's the only time when you hear about that. But at the same time, you need to be fair to the police. So the police are doing one of the toughest jobs that you and I have should wish to do. And then under, 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 under terrible conditions where they have to think about the law, section 49, what you know, no. Yeah, their hands are tied. And, and when criminals do this to the police, we hardly hear this. We'll always say, but this government we should take care. And when police are doing their job, we make some screaming. So, and and, and that's a problem. To be honest, yes, there'll always be one to them for in every organization of that average. But in general, I always can blame the police and say, and they doing the jobs. Men and women, one of the... All right, it's it's a bad line, Lucky. I'm going to have to either try and get a line and 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 try and get you. But I, I get the sense that we got the the gist of your call, Andrew. You know, I must say I I don't quite buy that, and I'll tell you why. Of course, if I as an individual was for, was faced with a scenario where people were coming at me, and I'm not a police professional, of course I'll be overwhelmed and so on. I don't buy the argument that this is such a tough um, scenario that the police cannot deal with uh, riots and so on. Surely these people are trained. Surely by now we should have standards that allow us to go to in an event where there is a riot, for instance, or am I wrong? Um, 
Well, I think there's, there's a difference between police brutality in general and police abuse of forces general and, and police abuse um, during crowd management situations. Um, we, we shouldn't be seeing either, and your, your proposal that the police should be trained sufficiently to manage um, unruly crowds is right. Um, they won't always be able to, though, um, regardless how well they're trained. That said, um, I think far more could be done in South Africa. Um, we're still waiting for the release of the panel of experts report that came out of the Marikana Commission, um, and that was supposed to that recommended all sorts of reforms um, expected to take place in our in our public order units, um, and I think that has all been delayed because the report hasn't come out. So there is definitely more work than could be done um, in terms of crowd management, um, but in terms of police abuse of force in general, the, the key is that it's abusive. So police are empowered to use the minimum necessary force to achieve their goal in any context, but we need to hold them accountable to the minimum force yeah. rather than allowing that minimum to easily spill into something more brutal. Let me ask for both of you, why is there the assumption by all of us that police are the proper custodians of law and proper custodians of human rights? In other words, there is the assumption that every man in uniform fully understands all human rights and fully understands all law. And that's not true. Not all police officers understand the dynamics in terms of the implementation, especially in a fast-flowing situation. Mm. The human element kicks in. When you see your colleague who has been bricked and he's bleeding and the skull is cracked, mm. the human nature of your survival kicks in. In the process, you might make a wrong decision, which we, the people, expect the police not to do. But we human beings understand that in that situation, things might go haywire, which is why my name said, and, and Andrew is saying, we need to hold them accountable in that event where this particular gun-toting cop uh, is kicking two guys uh, who are sitting on the ground. You have subdued them. You have subdued them. Why do you kick them? Um, what are you afraid of? Do they have? Do you suspect that they have guns or weapons? These are some of the things that gets people to be super excited. But the long and short is, yes, where force must be applied, minimum force must be applied, and we have to continuously take them through a refresher course. This is what I expect. That's what you expect as an ordinary member of the community and Tatarampaku. We expect them to do that. Andy, you, you've done the, the, the research. You get the sense when you look at the, the research that you've done that policemen on the ground fully understand the law and are the proper custodians of, of human rights? Um, no, I don't. And I don't think we should expect them to. Um, police... Uh, all over the world are not trained to are not expected to understand all laws or to um, to have a kind of legal understanding of human rights and mm. um, they are functional officials who are expected to know enough to um, be able to bring people before court mm. where um, lawyers and judges will engage with the fuller um, extent of the law um, so no I don't think we should expect and I don't think we should judge them on um, any any possible lack of knowledge there but they need to know what they need to know to do their job sufficiently um, and I don't think anyone needs to know the ins and outs of the law or the constitution to know that um, one shouldn't be abusing force unnecessarily so it's very simple even at a, a human level but also as a, at a, as a police official to know when force is necessary and when it isn't. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let me take those calls. 0891104207. Elvis, you're calling us from Midrand. Good afternoon. Afternoon, afternoon. afternoon. Um, you know, the challenge about the police is that, uh, you see, sometimes when we go to the police or the way we treat them, we, we, we treat them like they are not human. Hmm. You know, and, and at some instances, as you said, that, uh, you know, you, you, you have people who are on strike. And uh, in most cases, when police arrive, they tell them of their rights to say, do not do this, do not damage properties, do not do this, do not do that, you know. So at the end, they retaliate to the environment. And you cannot, anyway, under, under any circumstance, there's no way. People are throwing things at you, like they've done in the CBD. Uh, that behavior, it provokes the police to react in a certain way. 
you know, so the same way that you are calling the police, you need also to call our community to say, when there is a grievance against something, you need to behave. Because these police are also human beings. They are not robots. They are somebody's brother, they are somebody's wife, husband, and wife, and so on. So when we, we, we approach them, we need to know that they are human beings. I think that is the problem, because we undermine them uh, for some reasons, you know. Uh, others will say uh, they've got Madrid, they just simply train, and, and they are undermined, they are insulted, everything that you can follow, they, they insult the police. So it causes a problem. You can see how people react. You go even to the church, people packed everywhere. When the police comes and call, call order to say, can't pass here, they retaliate, you know. So my view is that uh, as much as we blame the police, we need to do community awareness, you know, in terms of their relationship with the police. To say you cannot undermine them. There are four enforcement or enforcement agencies, you know. So um, that's my view. Thanks very much, Elvis. Uh, we'll we'll give you everybody a chance to respond to Elvis' comment there, and we'll also listen to that clip that inspired this conversation from Patrick Shai to just see how this fits into what Elvis was saying. Just gone uh, one at uh, two thirty now. Let's go to Uzi Lesako for the latest in headlines. Life happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. There's a video that that has captured me, which is. Uh, on social media, I was not part of the protest. I was standing between the cops and and the community, and I had my hands raised up to say, "Please, we don't need to have another situation, Marikana type situation. We don't need another understatement situation." And you know, so many that have become the, our everyday reality. And even before that, I. I went to the garage to buy bread and newspapers and I could see the the protesters were, you know, unrelenting. They continued to be in the street. I think there must have been about 40, 50 of them because it's a small block of uh, residential block where they got affected. And then, of course, uh, I tried to speak to the protesters to say, please, please, let's not bend. Don't bend. Don't bend tires. I because it damages the street, it creates potholes, don't. Mm. And there was an altercation between one of the cops and the, the member of the community. And the cops said, uh, okay, uh, we'll show them. And I understood that to mean we are going to deal with them violently. And I said, no, please, that's not how public order policing works. That's not the language. You can't say that. Please, please don't. And they left to go to their cars and brought guns. And I didn't think that the worst was about to unfold. And there's me standing there thinking, okay, fine, maybe they'll listen to me. I have my hands up. I'm saying, please, please, I beg you. Don't use your guns. Don't use your guns. I think it was a bullet or bullets all all the way. But it it just shows how how dangerous a bullets can be. Because it tears. I mean, I've got a gaping wound on my on my thigh, very, very big wound. Uh, and I, at one stage, I thought maybe the bullet went in and lodged, but uh, there was nothing. So my guests this afternoon are Dr. Andrew Fall, Fall, who is from the Institute of Security Studies, and Andy Mashaili, who is a global ambassador of Interpol. We're discussing police brutality. And before we went to the headlines, there was a caller who was saying the community need to respect the police further. Now, when you listen to this note from Patrick Shai, you know, in theory, all of this sounds wonderful. Respect the police, be, you know, be, be more respectful and so on. When you listen to this and, and you hear the same type of account from, for instance, people uh, that were at Fees Must Fall, it doesn't make sense, Andrew. How do we respect people who are more powerful who have the right to be more powerful. And quite frankly, I have never seen a police being prosecuted for using excessive force. Um, well, firstly, police, some police are um, prosecuted criminally and internally for their abuse of force. Why but don't you hear you're right about that it? You're doesn't, it doesn't happen often enough, um, definitely not often enough. Last year, um, the SAPS disciplined only 1,358 members, which is their lowest amount in years, um, and almost 50% of those will have resulted in no sanction or been withdrawn. Mm. But, um, but, I, but I would go back to 
two points. One is the, the, the SAPs, the police, are the ones who need to lead the way in demonstrating their professionalism and winning us over. Um, but I would say that, of course, the public shouldn't approach every interaction with the police as if they have prejudged the characters of the individuals who they are engaging with. Um, the victims of crime surveys that are conducted by Stats South Africa showed in the past that um, members of the public actually had better perceptions of police after encountering them. Um, uh, that was true up until about 2010, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really positive. So it showed that there was a negative public perception. But when people actually went to a police station or called on the police for help, that engagement was more likely to be positive and to improve their perceptions of police. So very simply, simply by responding to a call, treating people fairly, politely, respectfully, police can slowly but surely um, build that public trust. Um, and that is necessary. All right, let me take another call, Solly, in uh, North Khasakh. Hi. Hi, Samela. Good afternoon, Solly. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I, I try, I, I'd like to differ with you a little bit about that the uh, force uh, actually begets sure. force. You know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, if you, uh, I'll make a comparison. If you take the old system, you know, we, we had what they called law and order. Mm. And today we've got the police service, you know. Those two things are, are, are a bit different to me when I try to look at the situation and listen to people talking. During the older days, you know, there, there was this uh, a, a police station or, or a, a place that was called Brixton Madden Robbery Squad. Mm. Those guys were not actually violent. They were actually respected by the community. Actually, the criminals, not the community. The criminals who used to respect those guys because if you are wanted by Brixton, You'd go to the nearest police station and say, please arrest me. These guys are looking for me. Today, it's a police service. You, 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 you're you not maintaining law and order yet. I, I sometimes ask myself, are they, uh, 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 the government, did they read that the apartheid constitution? Or did they just throw it up? You know, if they read that they could have get a couple of things there to measure to the democratic dispensation. Mm. I think... I, I think that is what the problem is all about here. I'm so happy, Soli, you're not the head of police. Because God forbid, and maybe this goes to you as well, Andrew, there. It, God forbid I am caught by the Brixton murder, whoever, and I am innocent. You know, I have no chance. And so I don't know if, you, if, if, if I'm making sense, but I surely would hope that that's not what we, we're hoping to gain, the legacy of the kind of force that we used to see in the old police service. Of course not. And we, it's, we should also be careful about romanticizing it. So, mm. um, for instance, most South Africans would, mm. would prefer that we had a death penalty. Um, there's an intuitive, natural, emotional feel that says if people know they are going to be killed for their wrongdoing, they won't do wrongdoing. Mm. But we also know from research across the world that the death penalty has no impact on the severity of people's offending. Uh, we also know that when South Africa did have the death penalty up until 1989, our murder rate was significantly higher than it is today, <laughs> um, which goes back to Solly saying that the, the Brixton murder and robbery unit was able to control things. We had a murder rate of 78 per 100,000 in 1993. Our current murder rate is 36 per 100,000. So it's 50% of what it was in 1993 when we had so-called law and order. Um, and that isn't simply because the police have changed. Um, we have a democracy now. People have, we've got a, a broad welfare system that r relieves some of the stress in households which might otherwise lead to conflict and violence. But um, we do certainly need to be careful about celebrating the idea that force is what's going to bring order to this country because that's exactly the attitude that leads to police abusing force in, pro in crowds and it's what use leads protesters to abuse force during their protest actions. Uh, Andy, I hear what Andrew's saying, but have we not inherited some of that attitude in some of the police that we inherited from the old regime? We have. Mm. We have, and, and there are some dynamics that we must take into consideration. Mm. Some people have been in a certain rank for donkey ears. Mm. Those people are not happy, and uh, not happy meaning the the, the, the decision-making process in a violent um, environment or a fast-flowing environment is really affected by the intrapersonal conflict that you have many other dynamics that come into play. Mm. So the long and short is quickly going back to, to Brapet. Your situational analysis uh, when you are ending uh, down there, out there in the street, is 
different from the situational analysis and assessment by a man wearing uniform, the commander, mm. and those who are wearing the uniform. Yes, you might hold your hands uh, up and say, I want to talk. They would uh, have read the situation completely different from what the way. What were they hearing? And they help me. What do you think they were hearing and assessing in that situation? Um, um, having had been close to the action for some time, for the past eight or seven years, yes. um, when you walk into, when you drive into that uh, service delivery protest situation where people are putting up tires and are putting mm. locks, mm. Um, you are from Jemistin, you are going somewhere to Krukasdop and they're putting locks, mm. and this police officer says, and Tatemashaile, we are getting there, mm. and you want to read the situation differently. Mm-hmm. This gentleman gets on top of the lock and says, let's talk. Mm. People talk, uh, people listen, and we make phone calls to MMC sign and the rest of the staff, mm. and the rest of the people, and people come down and they help you to clear you also participate in clearing the road that is an ideal situation and i'm talking about a guy called colonel sibitan who who did what i'm talking to you about mm-hmm. quite different from the situation that we experienced in Bekasdal when there was a service delivery protest you're working with the mec with the provincial commissioner um walking into uh, the crowd and wanting to talk and that show of force and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. there's a young gentleman who stands in the middle of the street mm-hmm. uh, naked from uh, mm-hmm. um, um, up Mm. Uh, this young man um, holds two rocks in two hands mm. and he says, Anjolila, you are not going to go by. And people, police want to engage in a communication. That young man throws one stone mm-hmm. towards that um towards that entourage mm. and people are whisked into um Enyala and police realize that the number of young people out there um exceeds uh, possibly at that point exceeds the number of police and they start shooting shooting rubber bullet uh, rubber bullet so from me and you you and I who are assessing that situation we would have said I man only one boy mm-hmm. yeah only one boy you don't know how many other young people on your on your blind spot are there people might get killed uh, you don't want any person to get killed. I wouldn't want to see the members of my community being killed. And I also don't want any police officer to be killed. What is ideal is to engage. You see, I drew two pic- two images, two scenarios. <sighs> and this is a very serious challenge. Having it been myself, Pimelo, involved in those situations. Having it been forced and inspired by this police officer who goes in the middle of a hostile crowd, climbs on top of... Uh, the log and this this gentleman only has one firearm, one nine millimeter, and I could tell there are more than two hundred people around. And he says, "Let's talk." And I realized that I've got to play my part. I have to phone MMC sign in Johannesburg, JMPD, and the rest of the staff. And from that engagement, talking with those with, uh, with those people or with that group uh, group of people, you know, I I had more respect for. The situation that we're looking for, the situation that does not call for maximum violence. Imagine if he had shot with that nine millimeter that he he had. You know, gentlemen, I am really battling. Hey, I really and I Andrew, you have to help me here because I I'm really trying to see this from maybe the perspective that you said the the police's perspective. And when you when you of course we were not there. We we were we don't know what happened with this with the Patrick Shire case. Yes. But I'm I'm trying to see what he would have said different to change the outcome of what happened on the day. And Andrew, just a bit of your perspective, what would have had to happen for him not to have been shot? Um, I really don't feel I can can comment on that. I don't know know enough about it. But what I can say is um, part of police organizational culture Mm -hmm. um, around the world, uh, police organizations are occupy a unique space in democracies where they are stuck between the state and the citizenry and Mm -hmm. they feel isolated and they're often defensive and on guard and um, where violence is common within Mm. those police organizations um, police often use violence to earn respect so if they Mm. feel like somebody speaks back to them or somebody Mm. isn't listening to them um, depending on the context they might be more likely to teach respect with Mm. the use of force and that might be um, what had happened in this mm. in this instance, um, but of course, 
we again we can't generalize there yes. are lots of police in the south african police service and metro police who might act in this way but there are others who never would and who would um engage in very um procedurally fair ways uh, as andy explained it's actually profoundly chilling because i think he goes on to say it is when he had turned around to leave that the shots were coming and and he says and obviously we don't know the details but he says someone kind of alluded to exactly what you're saying Andrew about teaching him a lesson you're not going to tell us what to do and how to conduct ourselves and how mm. to be better police you know back off and kind of get, you know get back into your lane that's chilling Andy that's why I said situational assessment what I would have done as Brapet yeah. He doesn't have the experience that that yes, I have. Yes. What I would have done in that situation was would be to ask for the commander uh, of that unit, <sighs> and I would say to the commander, "Please don't shoot. If you don't shoot, would anybody get... respond if you're yes. asking for the commander? No, if you, yes, yes, <laughs> that's you, challenging. You, you wouldn't be shot for talking to one. They have name tags. Okay. You wouldn't. You wouldn't um, 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 have been ignored if I say Pimelo or Memutin, let's let's talk who's who's the commander here and you talk to the commander and when you talk to the commander they wouldn't shoot because he must see what is happening so when you get hold of the commander you actually suppressing the firepower of the of those individuals they have to get a command to shoot mm -hmm. from from the commander mm -hmm. they don't just shoot indiscriminately mm -hmm. no there must be one person who issues out a command mm -hmm. when you get hold of that particular person from a strategy point of mm -hmm. view when you distract that particular person there wouldn't be any shooting because the com the commander would not account for the shots that have been um um coming uh, towards your direction so the strategy would be deal with decision makers when you deal with decision makers like the commander in that situation you are able to 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 neutralize mm. um a hot situation. All right, I've learned something new today. David and Swane, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Daniel, uh, and uh, uh, yourself, good South Africa in general. Good afternoon, David. I Go have ahead. a serious problem regarding the presenter. She is outright biased mm. against the police. And I've been listening to this from the start until now. Mm. Uh, you are making a lot of people out there very angry. You are not you are supposed to facilitate and adjudicate the discussion. Mm -hmm. You came through w with a position you hate police. You, uh, the last comment you made about this pest guy, it shows you. Uh, just to comment on some of the things you said, mm. statistics are a number. And when you look at a number in, it, in itself, on its own, naked, doesn't tell you much. You mentioned 500 states of people killed in uh, Amman's Club. Mm. You don't know who those people are. You could find out that they are criminals. So you're telling me... Hello, are you there? David, I'm giving you a chance to speak so I can respond. I don't want yeah, to interject. Yeah, yeah. please don't get angry because I, uh, I'm, uh, I said something against you. So that is statistic. You find that 400 of them are criminals taking each other out. What must the police do there? The immigrants, what will you do if I came into your house and your husband without your permission and I occupy it? Then a week later, I say, you give me money to go to Ghana. Will you give me? Won't that make you angry? Huh? The overwhelming. Some of us are born uh, uh, afraid, even with, with a training as a police officer. When you see 100,000 people coming towards you with a 9 millimeter pistol, how many... How much protection do you have? Zero. And you do not understand. This guy, I was married to a police officer every night when she was on duty and used me. Because mm. I didn't know she would come back. Mm. South Africa is a criminal society. Not criminal. It's a it's an angry, violent society that respects no law. If you go to the U.S. and I was there, you kill a police officer, you die. You die. How many police officers are we bearing in this country every year? We hear statistics. Who wants to don that uniform? The, the ex-police officer, they have it on the board. He has it on the board. We do not respect them. We treat them like a, a, a second figure. We tell them they don't even have meetings, yet we expect them to protect us. 
come on guys, when this program airs again, you just swelling that whole attitude of community out there. Our police tonight are in danger because of this program. I thank you very much. I may have come out as very emotional. Indeed I am. There are members of my own family very close who were killed in uniform. If you saw that picture of a police officer in Marikana with her face or his face cut by us, you wouldn't be doing what you are doing. I thank you. David, thank you very much for your take and we can all agree to disagree. Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. So we're in conversation with uh, two experts. Uh, one is Dr. Andrew Fall, who is Institute of Security Studies. Uh, he's from there. And Andy Mashaili, who's a global ambassador of Interpol. And before we went to the ad break, we had uh, a caller, who, David, I think is his name, who, who obviously had issues with me. Uh, and his sense is that I completely resent the police. Let me just clarify, I don't resent the police. Um, but I do have the right to hold a position. That I can tell you, David. But I also understand where David is coming from. He's got personal experience of police who, who've obviously been brutally um, dealt with and so on. And, and so that perspective, I think, is also important. It's not to say that one can't present another perspective. Um, so that's just where I'm coming from with that one. But I'll continue to take your calls on 891 Sue, you're calling us from Pulukwan. Hi. Hi, and hello to the to your guests as well. Yes. Um, I, I completely understand the, the, the perspective of the previous caller. Mm. My brother used to be a policeman uh, as well. Mm. But uh, for me, life is always seen through the eyes of what would I say to my children. Mm. And this actually happened to me uh, uh, a couple of years ago. My daughter lived in the UK, or we lived in the UK until she was about seven. Mm. And there at school, they were told, this is the police, you'll keep you safe, this is the ambulance, if you're, you know, hurt or whatever. Mm. So this is, you know, the, the stories that they are told, and, and it's very comforting. So she comes home to South Africa, and she sees my brother in uniform, and she says, you know, you're going to keep us safe, and uh, I'm just going to police first if, I, if, I, if I'm in danger or whatever. My heart skipped a beat. Mm. Because I didn't know how to say to her, um, in South Africa, you must be careful about calling the police first. Rather call Chuck or you know, call me, call your father, call anybody else sure. other than a police first. Sure. I didn't know how to say it to her. And, and, and I didn't. And every day, uh, she's a grown woman now, she's a grown up mm. um, of my life. I was always scared that she was going to call the police. And and, 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 and and find out that they're not the heroes that she thought sure, Sue. they should be. That's and that is the problem that we have with the police. Sure, Sue. Really interesting call there, Sue in Pulukwani. I'm going to bring in Brigadier Vishnaidu, who's a police spokesperson. He called in, and uh, thanks so much for making the time to talk to us, Brigadier. Good afternoon. A very good afternoon to you, Pumelo, and thank you for this opportunity. Absolute pleasure. Go ahead. Well, Pumelo, actually, your office, uh, the studio called me, mm. and I was told that there's a discussion about uh, police brutality. And this is in, in the wake of what happened in Dobsonville. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say that, uh, Pumelo, they, I won't even say that there's a fine line between police brutality and police having to exercise their powers when executing their duties. Mm-hmm. Because when, uh, remember, the police, in terms of uh, our constitution mm-hmm. and in terms of the Police Act, they have a legal and moral obliga- obligation to, to enforce the law. Mm-hmm. Now, when police, is, when police um, are confronted by a violent protest action mm. and the police use the necessary force in terms of the protocols that they've been trained to use uh, the necessary force, it cannot be considered as police brutality. Mm. Um, that these are police exercising their duties. There are certain protocols that must be followed. First, they will ask the crowds to disperse. Then they would use water. Then they would use rubber bullets and so on and so forth. Now, if somebody gets injured in the process, that's mm. not police brutality. Police brutality is when a police officer deliberately assaults a particular individual, be it a male or a female. That will that would be police brutality. That is a criminal offence. But when when we have situations where police officers are responding to violent protests 
And if anybody gets injured in the process, mm. we ask the, we ask these people if they feel in any way that their rights have been infringed in a criminal way or whatever way it might be, and it warrants an investigation, we, we call upon them to go and open a, a case so that we would get the independent police investigative director to investigate it. But I think we, we really need to understand. I unfortunately, didn't listen to your entire show. I was only just informed that uh, I would be needed to comment on the show, and this is what the discussions are all about. So I didn't hear what the, care, the cares and the concerns were by the callers or even your panel of experts, uh, but, and, and I wish I could have. But uh, if, if I've answered the questions that were being raised, uh, then, then I'm happy. But if not, you're welcome to, to put more questions to me. So thanks for taking the call and calling in. So one of the things I just need to make you aware of, the discussion around Dobsonville was one of but many examples. Um, so by no means was the claim that that was police brutality. Um, the coin police, police brutality in that situation was not by us. It was by the person who said, Patrick Shai, who called it police brutality. So at, we, you know, we're obviously not expecting you to, to come up with details of what happened there, and we're not at all focusing on that particular case. This is a very broad discussion around how police and the community engage with one another around violence. But I do appreciate the fact that you've called in, Brigadier. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pamela. All right. Zinzile, who is calling us from Bombela, good afternoon. Afternoon, afternoon, Ms. Mutana. Yeah, I've waited a longer. <laughs> we really apologize for that, sir. You know, 25 years of democracy, you may think it's a longer period, huh? <laughs> I, I had to give you 23 minutes. I waited <laughs> for 23 minutes here. Yeah. Ms. Mutana, what I want to highlight here. Mm-hmm. We may think, like I'm saying, 25 years of this democracy, mm-hmm. we have traveled. We haven't traveled much in, in terms of our the change of mind in in humans. Mm-hmm. Police uh, force is being transformed through exposure to trainings and all that, mm-hmm. but the society at large has not been. We have just dumped mm. the word democracy for them. Mm-hmm. People are still uh, reeling from the ills of uh, the past, before 94. Mm-hmm. And what has been done by the country to, to, to take people beyond that step, or what is it that we are doing to counsel people beyond? Mm. That is why people are always, this is, the, this is the closest that they can go to, to when they are actually sort of like uh, in these uh, confrontations with police, they quickly revert to that. It's the closest yeah. thing they can go back to that. Because what they see in front of them is the police as police before mm-hmm. 94. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is why we are talking of now even the labeling of like the police brutality. Mm-hmm. I hear uh, mm-hmm. the, the police, police uh, officer mm-hmm. who has just spoken out that it's not about br- brutality. As a society, we label that as brutality. And we talk of democracy that we have these rights and these rights. All right. I think we've lost them, Zenzile, there in Bombella. I really appreciate all the time. Uh, Dr. Andrew Fall, who, thank you very much. He is coming from our Cape Town studio. Thanks very much for making the time. Andy Mashaile, thank you very much for making the time. And I do want to thank everybody that took part in this conversation. I do think we, we need to pick it up. It's another time. All of us have something to learn. I certainly have learned something. We have run out of time and we'll pick it up another day. Thanks, everybody. It's three o'clock.